Welcome to the Insurance Brokers Podcast with your host, Sarah Myerskoff. This business podcast is for ambitious brokers determined to grow their business. Our guests are highly experienced industry experts and innovators. This is the place to leverage their success, learn how to break through barriers to growth, and discover a community of support and ideas whilst growing your business. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Insurance Brokers Podcast. On this episode, we're delighted to be speaking to Sarah McGee-Harris of Kingswood Group. We have a slightly different take on today's podcast. Sarah is an HR and recruitment consultant professional specialising in financial services and insurance industry in and outside of London. And today we're talking specifically around the return to work HR requirements that most businesses are facing today. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you for coming on this episode of the Insurance Brokers Podcast, Sarah. It's fabulous to have you here. I know we've known each other for quite a long time, but for the benefit of everybody listening, it would be great if you could just give us a bit of an intro into you and Kingswood Group and and, and the topic for the day. Sure. Thanks for having me, Sarah. So I'm Sarah McKee-Harris and I run a company called Kingswood Group. We're an HR solutions company based in Essex. Our company's business model is very much that we can support companies including insurance businesses, with any of their HR issues. So how we tend to do that is we we split the business into three areas. We provide HR recruitment to some larger firms uh, who have in-house HR specialist teams. We have an HR outsourcing business. So for the smaller companies that still employ people, but not necessarily big enough to need a full-time in-house HR team, we are an extension of that and we operate as their HR manager or HR department. And then for a bit more specialists, so mergers and acquisitions, restructuring, sensitive employee relations issues, we have a consultancy who work with clients on an ad hoc basis on some more niche ad hoc work as well. So our clients tend to be in London and Essex. That's absolutely fabulous. And actually really is the reason that we're having a conversation today, isn't it? Because it's all about return to work, whether you go back to the office, whether you decentralise permanently, whether you employ a flexible working scheme and maybe a part homework, part serviced office. And I've heard from my clients that there's lots of these kind of things happening at the moment, or at least thoughts happening in terms of which way they go. And it ties into all kinds of business development processes, costs, HR, compliance, everything. So, I mean, it must be a topic you're talking about loads at the moment. Yeah, it's literally the, the hottest topic and every every week, every day that there's new government um, information released, just about half an hour ago, there was another piece of information <laughs> released where companies, well, well, the government is now saying they're reducing the social distancing down to a metre from two. You know, just that small difference in information just makes a huge difference to businesses and getting people back to work, how they deliver their work. So, yeah, we've we've been obviously very busy keeping on top of the pandemic and the issues that that causes for employers. Um, But yeah, everyone is focused on return to work. I think we're all keen to get back to it. It's been a game of two halves, really. Uh, You've obviously had people that have been furloughed and then those that have maintained working but may actually have to do more work. So for employers, there are a lot of people issues that they've had to deal with, not just physicality in terms of people being in the office, but also you know, the the psychological piece, and there's been a lot coming out around mental health 
as well. So I think there'll be more of that around the well-being piece as we go through this. Which is actually the second part to our podcast, isn't it? So anybody listening, we have Sarah and our compliance expert, Roland, coming on in the next episode. And we are talking specifically around the legalities around mental health support that you really need to be looking at from an HR and from an SEA uh, perspective. So so I think that's a really interesting point you make there. What do you see, leaving the mental health element aside for the moment, what do you see as the sort of top three things perhaps that employers really need to be considering in the next phase of this weird COVID-19 pandemic? Okay, so taking mental health out of the equation. So from talking to a number of our clients, I think the first thing is if people are on furlough, bringing those people back. Now, as we know, the government has now set out a strict a time frame now of, of what the furlough scheme looks like over the next few months until, until the end of October. And so for companies, it's really assessing who to bring back and how to bring them back if they are on furlough. And also we're, we're obviously introducing at the end of this month part-time furlough. So that just gives people a bit more flexibility. But really it's kind of um, the difficulty for businesses is assessing what they need and when they need it. So although the furlough scheme is there, it still is quite a headache for people to get that right. So workforce planning is a big issue for people and making sure they've got the people in place for the demand as as businesses start to come back. Can Um, you give us a couple of examples of those that you're seeing, you know, real life, obviously anonymized? Yeah, so one, it's the workforce planning and the client's decision to bring people back. Something which we're coming coming up quite a lot is people not necessarily wanting to come back and different reasons for that. The tricky bit is, is that there's no blanket approach to this. You have to look at each case individually and why that person either doesn't want to come back or can't come back. And then for the employer, it's really important to be operating a transparent and fair approach. Discrimination rules still apply. And it's important to bear that in mind when you're assessing who's who's to come back from furlough and how they come back you've got to kind of show and be documenting that you're showing a very fair and transparent approach to all of your employees with those decisions the first and easiest way to do it to be honest is to ask who wants to come back you know I know it sounds really simple but rather than you making that decision obviously there's certain people you do want to come back but ask you know say to people because don't necessarily assume that nobody wants to come back because a lot of people, I know my other half who's downstairs in the kitchen right now, desperately wants to get back into the office. I don't know why. So, <laughs> yeah, first thing is, you know, communication. I think that's, uh, it runs throughout the whole thing, really. And, and I know a lot of people will have experienced good and bad communication, not just in times of crisis and the impact that that can have. I've actually had a, a recent example outside the insurance industry and speaking to somebody else who runs her own business and she was saying that her husband has been working from home but has been told that as of the 1st of July he has to be back in the office or else he'll lose his job and his office is based in Ireland so he has to go and live in his digs over there Monday to Friday otherwise he loses his job and it plays into so much that is happening I mean that's obviously not legally compliant and there's a whole a whole ball of worms there but there will be a lot of people that don't know what the rules are how to go about them and make inadvertent mistakes even 
when they've got their employees' best interests in mind, but it's done in a technically incorrect way, which will leave them open to all kinds of litigation. And I think um, that's quite important. So have you got any um, advice on that? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. It is about doing the right thing in the right way. And I think the important thing is to be talking to an HR professional. If you don't have one internally, you know, maybe seek external advice. So yeah, seek external advice. I mean, there are obviously government guidelines online that you can go to, but they can be quite broad and every business is different. Every business leader is different and wants to do things differently. So if you have a good HR partner and they understand your commercial decision and why you want to do it that way, they can help you create a plan which is compliant but also hopefully gets you the result you're looking for. Absolutely. I think that's really key to think about. If we're talking about non-furloughed people, so just the return from home working back into the office, I'm hearing lots of things about separating desks, putting them two metres and everybody will be frantically moving them back to one metre, PPE, glass, that kind of stuff. What's your advice around that? So with that, there's quite strict guidelines and... um, it's really important that businesses are working with health and safety specialists and in particular talking to, you know, looking at the HSE guidelines. Health and safety, HR and occupational health all work really closely with each other. And it can seem that, you know, you don't know who to talk to. But generally, the first thing to do is look at the physical health and safety piece. And and that would be definitely, you know, following the health and safety guidelines And I I would talk to a specialist about that just to make sure that you are adhering to those as best you can. Look, you know, you're not going to be able to meet every single one. Again, it depends on your business and what you're doing and how it operates. Then look at the HR element to it because you need to then make sure that your policies and the contractual piece that you have with your employees works alongside those changes. The OC Health bit kind of goes back to, to what we were talking about in terms of getting people back. And I'll leave that for now. But yeah do make sure you're working with health and safety and HR so that the physical bit's done and then obviously your contractual obligations are there as well and that your employees understand the policy. Absolutely. Actually, I can put a link to some of those things you've mentioned uh, in the show notes. So anybody wanting, the links will be in the show notes. In terms of what you do, can you manage the health and safety aspect or at least signpost to it as well? Or is it a, an additional that people have to yeah. go off and find that? No, no. So we, um, we have strategic partners. So although Kingswood Group is, is a core HR business, we have an occupational health strategic partner. We have health and safety partners. We even have employment law partners because uh, we're not lawyers. You know, but we all work collaboratively so that if you are lost and you do need Sometimes it's good to, to work with people who've been referred to you, then we can point you in the right direction. We're always really open and honest about what we do and what we don't do, because I think it's really important from a protection and risk management piece that the client, you know, the customer is working with the right qualified person for that piece. I'll put your details in the bottom in case anybody wants to make contact just to maybe yeah. ask for a signpost or, or yeah. Yeah. maybe some free advice. Yeah, we do. We do, actually. I mean, when COVID hit, we we recognised that not all companies had either a relationship with an HR person or internal HR advice and guidance. So we set up sort of a, a free initial phone call, really, just to sort of point people in the right direction. It is a minefield, especially for business owners who, 
you know, want to do the right thing for their employees and also make sure that they're doing the right thing for them themselves to protect their business. But, you know, with the amount of legislation, the number of new procedures and, and policies being released regularly, it's impossible for somebody to keep on top of that. It's like a tightrope, isn't it? A tightrope between your commercial interests and your... uh, But actually, a tightrope that once you're treading, it's manageable and they both, all forces kind of go in the same way. So I think really helpful. So a lot of my clients, well, all of my clients have a client-facing staff. So we're doing a whole process around remote selling, uh, skills to sell remotely, etc. But there are people that are just busting to get out there back to face to face. If you're an employer of, say, a team of, of face, you know, sales execs, account execs, what's your advice? How do you go about treading that? So just this week, actually, I've myself have had people wanting to meet me. And we're just, you know, we're just arranging it so that we are socially distancing and doing it you know, in a safe way. And I think as an employer, you need to assess really what's going to be an effective way to get those salespeople back to work. I think what's come out of this situation as a real positive is that, you know, what we're doing right now is that a lot of conversations can be done virtually and on the phone that would have always been done in person. And you think about all the travel time, you know, the cost in terms of time and money to, to get to places where I think you can have an effective meeting just like this, but I also recognise that certain meetings are better in person. So I would suggest that companies look at what the type of meetings are that, that their salespeople are going to and assess, you know, just have a, a, a rethink about what's the most effective one for that type of meeting. You know, if it's if it's more of a social event and, and we know that insurance people do love their social events, uh, having been to many myself, then it's a bit different, isn't it? You know, we've all tried the Zoom birthday parties and they're just not quite the same. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I think there'll be a more blended approach to meetings now rather than just meeting face-to-face. Certain things, you know, you just get as much information and and effectiveness as you need just on the phone or a Zoom call. Yeah, absolutely. And I've actually... uh, had my first face-to-face since lockdown last week as well. So it's starting to happening. It's starting yeah. to happen. And I'm hearing that more and more from people we're talking to. It's almost a novelty, isn't it? It is. <laughs> yeah. I had a marketing meeting in my garden yesterday and uh, I was really excited. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I had a, a walking meeting the other day, socially distanced, which was actually really nice. Just going back again to the practical considerations of, of yeah. going back to an office. So there are Lots of people that are not, they don't have big offices. So the social distancing thing is a problem. Also, communal toilets. What's your requirement? What practically do you have to put in place there? Yeah, so a practical way of getting people back to the office, especially if it's a bit tight for space, is um, perhaps looking at staggered hours. So the CIPD, which is the Professional HR Network and, and Qualification, They've um, given some good guidelines on on staggered working hours. So, again, you have to treat this in an inclusive, non-discriminative approach in the fact that, you know, you you look at the staggered hours. It may be that you have some people coming in early and finishing early and then some people coming in late and finishing late. So you have to talk to people about what, what they would like to do, what suits them better. You do have to make sure that as much as possible you have provided a safe environment for them to work in. In some cases, 
There is uh, some companies which are creating like a one-way walk system around their offices so that people don't kind of get stuck, you know, trying to get past each other. In terms of toilets, you may have um, restrictions on who uses what toilet. So it might be one, one staggered hours sort of approach uses one toilet and so forth. So you've got constant time to, you know, try and keep people in separate groups or bubbles as they're calling them. So there's as least interaction as possible with those um, and obviously the least amount of contamination. And then you think about things like the kitchen facilities with Yeah, lots of people just saying not not access to the kitchen facilities. Um, You've got to bring in your own lunches. So it is a lot of change for people and naturally people generally don't react well to change. The key thing is the communication and I, I can't say this enough. Two things if you take away from today is communication and documentation. Okay, I know that sounds really boring, but if you're not communicating effectively with your employees on the changes which are happening and why the changes are happening, it won't happen and people won't get it and they won't understand it and they'll forget about why they're doing it. And the other thing is documentation. I'm sorry I'm going off course a bit here, but whenever you're making decisions and whenever you're making changes, make sure you document an evidence where you got guidance to make that change or decision because where there has been a lot of change going on and a lot of um, different communication coming out from the government, you know, easing restrictions, tightening restriction here, changing it there, you're acting on goodwill of the information you've been given at that time. So if anything does happen in the future and something tries to come back and bite you on the, the backside, you've got proof of why you did it. So that's, that's the key thing because, you know, it's a difficult time for people to, to know what to do. I think that's uh, really important and some good advice there. And actually the CIPD link I'll put in the show yeah, notes as well. Yeah, please do. a really good link. be yeah. quite helpful. Um, you don't have to be a member of the CIPD to, to see it or have access to it. So, What about um, decentralising or partial decentralisation? And what I mean by that is I've had a lot of conversations with people that are talking about downsizing and increasing the working from home facility with maybe social hubs or serviced offices that are done on some kind of rotor system. And this ties directly into cost assessments going forward. There's going to be decreased revenue across the board. We're going to come into some kind of recession. So taking those steps makes commercial sense to a lot of companies obviously you'll have to make those assessments yourselves but there are HR implications as well what do you think about that? Yeah there are any changes to working environments does have a, an HR impact impact on your people so with the decentralization I mean a lot of companies have had to do this anyway because of the situation so some of the issues that are sort of key to coming out with this generally evolves around people management and Again, some communication, but it's very different. So if you're, you know, if you're used to working in an office eight till six, Monday to Friday, you've got your team there, everybody's visible, whether they're being productive or not is another matter. You know, you, you as a manager, you feel in control. You know, you can see everyone. You can take someone out for a coffee. As soon as that's taken away and you can't see everyone, I mean, you might check in on them, on, you know, just check they're on Zoom every so often. But you know, it's very difficult to feel in control. And I think that's what businesses are struggling a little bit with. You do have different types of workers who adjust to this different way of working. So you're, you, you find that you'll have people who are overworking and people who are underworking. 
some people just don't adjust very well to working from home. So it can be quite difficult to manage performance. So this is coming up quite a lot in our HR conversations with with companies of how to manage performance effectively when people aren't in the office. You can't physically see them. So there's going to be, and there already is, a real shift from looking at people's outputs rather than where they are and what they're doing. It's looking at what they're actually delivering. Not so much of when they're doing it, it's what's coming out at the end of it. So there, there is going to be a shift around looking at the people's jobs, the content of those roles and the outputs. So like I was saying, a lot of the focus is now on how to manage performance when people aren't physically in the office. So it's very much looking at output of the work being delivered. So it's an, you know, you're having to assess people's work and how it's delivered. And then as a manager, what, what you're looking for, what's important to you in that work that's being delivered. Other things which people need to consider is people feeling isolated or people just being really easily distracted and allowing for that as well. So, you know, the postman calls, is there a procedure around that? You get a delivery, what's the procedure around that? Some employers are taking it to the extreme where they literally have a procedure that people have to follow if there is a delivery and you're at work. Other people are a bit more relaxed about it. So a lot of it does come down to the culture and the leadership and how that business likes to operate. So you do kind of have to assess how you'll need procedures and policies in place, but it's up to you really how how hard you come down on those. Just Um, going back on something you just said a moment ago, because I completely agree with you on the procedures and and processes you have in place. I think you can over-proceduralize and process things, but managing the outputs and managing people again, it can highlight a much deeper cultural issue within the business. And I think when you've got the culture right and you've got your focus right, as the leader, it's your job to choose the focus, to direct everybody. And I think sometimes there's missing a bit of focus in terms of people knowing actually what the end game is and how I'm going to do it. So that piece comes into play quite a lot, doesn't it? It really does. And again, I think this will all develop. I mean, there are some firms who've been doing this for years, you know, they're, they're way ahead. But others who this is completely brand new to, it's a massive learning curve. There needs to be a real kind of holistic approach on this. So it's not just looking at making sure the leadership are clear on how they want things to operate. It's making sure that that filters down and everybody else gets the same message. You know, so that's the leadership, that's the managers, that's the managers telling their employees So it needs to be a consistent approach to that so that everybody is very clear on how they should be working and what's right and what's not okay. And Um, what your part to play in that. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, you're a part of it, but you're an important part because if that bit doesn't work, then this Mm. bit doesn't work, you know. So, and again, and then I'm going to use a bit of HR jargon, but employee engagement, that's what it, this is largely what it comes down to. If you're, if you're not fully engaging your people, which again is harder to do when they're not in the same room as you, that's where you start to lose people and you might start to lose the productivity and people do get easily distracted. Or if your manager's not talking to them enough, they perhaps feel a bit isolated and not valued. And then again, it has this knock-on impact to the productivity and the motivation. And so it is a lot for people to get right. But if you do talk to the, you know, if you get the people strategy right in alignment with the business strategy, it will work just takes a bit of time. 
Yeah, the business and the people strategy is key, isn't it? And um, what's going to happen over the next six months, 12 months, six years, nobody knows. Yeah. But we do know there's going to be opportunity, challenge, but opportunity. And actually, I think now is a really good time when you're reevaluating your processes, when you're reevaluating what your business looks like in a, on a practical level to reevaluate the whole thing. Where are you going? Why are you going there? Who are you taking with you and how are you going to get it done? And I, that's why I'm quite excited about the conversations we've been having and looking at, you know, some strategic partnerships in terms of, of where we're going. So, yeah, I think it should be really good. Yeah, it is an exciting time. You know, some businesses have been really pulled into it and other people are kind of already there already. But I think if it's, um, you know, this is the way forward now. And, and I think for those companies that were resistant to becoming more remote working and, and using more technology to enable businesses to work more remotely, they, you know, hopefully they will see the benefits of it. Now, you know, there will be some companies that do go back to what they were doing, but hopefully they will embrace some of the positives that this has brought you know, because otherwise I think, you know, they will fall behind. I think so too. And and it's looking about the future direction of the global economy and the yeah. way in which business works. I think you have to take that into account as well. And what's really interesting is over the last three, four weeks, we've had three, four inquiries from people who are looking at going solo via small acquisition. People's eyes are open. People are, are going to take this and, and run. Yeah, yeah. What would you say, again, we'll be meeting tomorrow to do the next part of this in terms of solely focusing on the mental health, but again, taking that outside or maybe including that in this, what are your top tips for the small to medium business now thinking about getting back to work? Okay, top tips is talk to your people. A good way of doing that is maybe doing a bit of a survey if you've got the time you know, calling around those people and asking them how they're feeling about coming back to work, what would work for them, what wouldn't work for them, and really engaging them in that process rather than just telling them. That will help people feel part of the future business and enable you to actually get your plan right in terms of getting those people back to work. The next thing really is to keep assessing. Um, Everything is changing on, on a regular basis. People's personal situations will be changing on a regular basis I certainly know some schools have been going back. I know they're not back for that long now, but it does have an impact on people who do have children or people to care for. And that situation is always changing. So, you know, don't just do a blanket approach, right, we'll get everyone back to work, done. That's it. We don't need to think about it again. You know, the next three to six months, that's going to be constantly changing. You know, you've got different options with furlough. So, you know, keep assessing and keep making sure that, um, you're doing the best you can to get your workforce back on track and getting yourself up to speed as quickly as possible, really. Yeah, so communication and documentation, that's my two key things to take away from today. It is a bit of a minefield, but do, you know, feel free to either reach out to me or, you know, just speak to an HR professional um, if you're not sure on anything at all, no matter how big or or small, because if you get it right straight away, you're going to have less issues further down the line. I think particularly for the insurance market, and I know most are already all over this, there's a whole thing around supporting your clients to get back to work in a compliant, de-risked type of way. And there's a, we've got a few webinars that we've been running on that recently, yeah. particularly around uh, errors and emissions and DNO. So if you're interested, then have a look on our website and we can have a, 
uh, a conversation about those if you need any training. I think that's really, really helpful, Sarah. I think uh, we should um, leave it there, ready for our uh, part two tomorrow. And thank you very much for coming on. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. Thanks for having me. And I will see you very soon. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you have enjoyed what you have heard, have any questions or feedback, please leave us a review and we will be sure to get back to you. If you would like further information on how Boston Tullis Group can support your business, or if you would like to join us on an episode, please do not hesitate to contact us.